Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for just the, the blessing and honor, the opportunity to gather together, Lord, and to just worship you. And Lord, just to worship an audience of one. And Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for those who are here this morning, uh, those who are listening online right now, Lord, that you would just bless them, Father. And Lord, I just pray that your word would just pierce our hearts today, Lord, that it would resonate deep within us, Lord. And Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Praise in Jesus' name and all of God's will said, amen. If you have your Bibles, Bible app, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 is today's text. We're going to finish all of chapter 3 today. We're now in part 8 of our series, Church Life. Everyone say Church Life. More enthusiasm, Church Life, right on. Now, before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. Verses 8 through 13, I gave you two points, and it was the, the title was Faithful Servants. Say that. And, and remember, though the text is about the office of deacon, these are things that God desires from any Christian who would serve him because the goal of every single growing Christian is to be a servant, and not just a servant, but a, a faithful servant. Say faithful servant. And you might remember the first point of last week's text was the requirements, say that, and that's in verses 8 through 12. And what Paul does, he transitions from pastors to deacons, and he's simply saying, deacons, just like I said to the pastors, I am now talking to you. And then he says, you are to be men worthy of respect, or in other words, dignified, stately, or reverent, and they are to be, be of good reputation, he's saying, highly respected in the congregation. That whole phrase, worthy of respect, can also be translated serious. Say serious. In other words, deacons must be serious about the faith and serious about serving God. They're not flippant, not a goof-off or a clown. Then he says sincere, also translated not to be two-faced or double-tongued. In other words, deacons are to be people of their word. Their yes means yes, their no means no. Uh, they have consistency and also integrity in what they say. They say what they mean, and they mean what they say. Then he says, not indulging in much wine. Literally, it, it reads, not a wine watcher. They're not always around it. Uh, they're not attached to drinking. Why? Because it clouds the mind. It blurs the senses. What it does, it, it impairs judgment, and it can affect decision-making. Because a deacon or deacons, they need to be clear, be, be clear thinkers, alert, discerning, capable of making good, sound decisions. Then he says, and not pursuing dishonest gain. And the New King James Bible renders it like this, not greedy for money. And so since the deacon's duties often involve the distribution of money and gifts to the needy, there was always the possibility of embezzlement. Then he says, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. Uh, might be rendered as holding the mysteries of the faith. And, and we, we learned and remembered this, that the mystery of the faith is Paul's term for Christian truth. Say, say Christian truth. And what it does, it points to that which was once hidden, but is now revealed in Christ. And so deacons must hold, or in other words, grasp tightly to the central truths of the Christian faith. Uh, hold tightly, grasp tightly to sound doctrine, essential doctrine that constitutes the Christian faith. In other words, they are to believe that the Bible is actually the Bible. That the Bible is actually the Word of God and believe that it's the unchanging truth of the Word of God. Now remember, it's not just a general 
holding to the truth, as he says, they must keep or hold, uh, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith, but also a personal holding to the truth where he says, with a clear conscience. So in addition to sound doctrine, what Paul's saying, deacons must be sound in obedience. They're not only holding to uh, the truth tightly, but they're also obeying the truth and living out the truth in their lives. And then he says they must first be tested, say tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. It means a life that has been observed. And so potential deacons have an observed track record before they're put into office of deacon. And then he says this, in the same way their wives, the New American Standard Bible says, in the same way women, so what Paul's doing, Paul's referring to the wives of male deacons or female deacons because the original wording permits either possibility. Paul then, what he does, he mentions four requirements for them are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. And then Paul goes back to the man and says the deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. The second point of last week's text was the rewards. Say that. The rewards, that's verse 13. So after listing the requirements, qualifications for those who serve in an official capacity of deacon and deaconess, what Paul does now, Paul lists the rewards, and they will receive human commendation. There's going to be a blessing and a reward for them. And what is it? It's an excellent standing. Say that. Excellent standing. This refers to respect in the church. Uh, they're, they're appreciated. Uh, they're looked up to. The church is grateful for them and thankful for them. It's not just a human accommodation, but also the other reward is heavenly confidence. Say that. Heavenly confidence. He says, and great assurance slash boldness or confidence in their faith in who? Christ Jesus. So assurance, boldness, confidence is considered a reward for those who serve Christ, not just serve Christ, but who serve Christ well. Say well. They effectively and powerfully live the Christian life. They, they, they have a God-honoring, they have a God-glorifying boldness that is confident in God, in God's Word, in service to God, and also in service to God's people. This now brings us to today's text. The title of the message today is God's Household. Everyone say that. And by the way, friends, today's text is a the theme to this book. And what it does, it sets the main point and, and the purpose for this entire letter of 1 Timothy. Pastors and, and elders and deacons and church members need to know and be reminded of what the local church is. Amen? In fact, I would say that these verses are a, a purpose statement for the New Testament local church. These verses, as we go through them, are jam-packed with amazing information. Two points today. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is the right conduct. Everyone say that. The right conduct. Write that down. Then we look at verses 14 and 15. And Paul writes, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that, verse 15 now, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to what? Conduct themselves in God's household. I want to stop there. This begs the question, what are these instructions that Paul is referring to? Well, most likely he's referring to everything that he has written up to this point. And it could also refer to all that he's going to write for the remainder of the letter. 
Well, so far in chapters 1 all the way through chapter 3, Paul instructs to Timothy, his instructions to Timothy includes guarding, remember this? Guarding the teaching of the church because there were those who were what? Teaching things that were contrary to the scriptures or outside the perimeters of scripture. It also includes God's grace. It includes fighting the good fight by holding on to faith and a good what? A good conscience. It includes the charge for the church to pray for the salvation of the lost and to obey and pray for the ruling authorities. It includes his exhortation for men to take the initiative, right? To initiate and be the one who prays and women to dress modestly. It includes his firm and biblical stance on leadership within the family and also leadership within the church and the qualifications for pastors and deacons and deaconesses includes also what we're going to see in our text today. If you got it, say got it. So let's go back to the text. I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now, Paul was writing this so that the family of God would know how to conduct themselves, especially as it comes to corporate church life. Now, let's say church life, okay? Church life. Now, the word church is a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, and it means assembly. It means a gathering. It also means those called out. Say, say those called out. Uh, we as believers were called out from the world. Now, we're in the world, right? We're in the world, but not of the world. Now, now interesting that the word ekklesia referred to the political assemblies in the Greek cities, okay, where businesses uh, where business was transacted by qualified citizens, but it's used around 100 times in the New Testament to refer to local churches, to the assembly or the gathering of believers. So it indicates a group of people, not a building. You guys got that? Okay, it's not a building. It's a group of, of people. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. The church is a family. Let's say that. The church is a family. Now, if you're saved, say Amen. At the very moment you trusted Jesus Christ to come into your life, you were born again into God's family. Got it? This is why we, we refer to each other as brothers and what? Sisters. Okay, we're familia. Right? And as a family, we have the blessing and we have the honor and we have the privilege of coming together under one roof, sharing, listen now, one life who believe in and trust in the Savior Jesus Christ. Now follow me here. The church is a description of a spiritual union, a group of people who, who, who uh, people to a very, very real, amazing God. And we are the church. We are saved by grace. We are washed by the blood of Jesus and placed into the body of believers, the church, ecclesia. Amen. Now I want to say this: the Christian who says, "I don't need the church," and I know some who say that. Christians say, "I don't need the church," has not fully understood what the church is, and has not fully understood who he or she is. Amen? Because you can't have a church without a believing body. Now, I want to say this when we're talking about family here, familia. We're family, right? But because we're family, we're not going to always get along. We're going to say things, right? We're going to hurt each other. It just happens in the family, right? That's what happens. We don't got to, listen, we don't got to like each other, but we got to love each other. Because we're what? Family. So we as a family, listen, friends, we ought to conduct ourselves in a manner that shows the world and others that we're family. 
So we need to learn to love and forgive one another when we hurt one another. Amen? Because we're what? Family. Now I want to point something else. Look at the text again. In God's household. Whose household? Come on, say it with enthusiasm. God's. So this tells us that, listen now, it's his church. Right? It's his church. Okay, he owns the church. He, he's the builder. He's the, the architect. He's the ruler. The church is not mine. <laughs> it's not yours. Whose is it? It's, it's God's. And since it's his house and we are his household, listen, friends, we need to believe his way. Amen? Let's read on, which is the church of the living God. Now, I want to stop there. And I want you to notice Paul doesn't just say the church of God, but the church of the living God as opposed to dead idols. Now, now living God was a, a commonly used phrase in the Old Testament that emphasized the difference between the pagan religions and Judaism. Now, now in Samuel, first Samuel, write that down, chapter 17, verse 26, David said this about Goliath. For who is, so who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defies the armies of the living God? Okay, not just God, but the living God. So the Jews worshipped, and we as well, right, worshipped the living God while the other nations worshipped dead idols. So this was true in Timothy's context. You guys got it? In context where the pagans in Ephesus worshipped the goddess Diana. In Ephesus, a small congregation worshipped the living God while everyone else worshipped dead idols. So, so you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. God is not dead. Come on, everyone say that. God is not dead. God is alive. And we ought to be enthusiastic and passionate about that. That God is alive. He's not dead. He lives in his people. He lives in his church. He's alive. And I want to tell you, in the midst of idolatry, we the church, we the church worship a living and active God. Jeremiah 10, verse 10a says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. Listen, Buddha's dead. Muhammad is dead, Confucius is dead, Gandhi's dead. Are you guys with me? But Jesus, the living God, is alive. And so we serve and worship the living God. Okay, we're the church of the living God. That's what makes us different. Listen now, different from all other world religions is that our God is alive. Amen? Now, the fact that we are the church of the living God reminds us that God meets us, meets with us, excuse me, meets with us in a very special way when we gather together, right? I love what Martin Luther said. He said, at home, in my own house, there's no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. John Stott said this, when the members of the congregation are scattered during most of the week, it is difficult to remain aware of this reality. But when we come together, say come together, as a church, ecclesia, uh, assembly of the living God, every aspect of our common life is enriched by the knowledge of his presence in our midst. He goes on to say this, in our worship we bow down before the living God. Through the reading and exposition of his word, we hear his voice addressing us. When we, when we meet him at his table, 
He makes himself known to us through the breaking of bread. In our fellowship, we love each other as he has loved us. And our witness becomes bolder and more urgent. Indeed, unbelievers coming in may confess that God is really among you. Amen? There's just something amazing and dynamic about corporate worship. Hey, praise God for online Amen. Services. Praise God for that. But there's nothing like being together in person. Right? As we come together, we sing together, we, we experience his presence, we experience his power, we experience his peace, right? His living presence, okay, right? We experience his living presence and learn from his living word. There's just something awesome about coming together that we can connect and pray for one another and worship together as one body Right? An audience of one, the living God. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. We gather to worship. We scatter to witness. We gather to worship. There's a reason why we come to worship. Okay? All right? We're not just coming to get our lives filled. That's part of it. That's not all of it. We gather to worship. You're here to worship. You're here to get fed, to get equipped. Why? To scatter and go and witness to others. Right? The rest of the week. So there's a purpose for this. And as you come and, and you worship God and, and your heart is filled with His presence and, and your heart is filled with His Word, it's to equip you to go out, to, right? To scatter and to be a witness to those outside, those who are lost. Amen? Now I want to say this. There, there's a serious, serious danger which both as individuals and as the body of Christ we must guard against, and it's institutional religion. Follow me here, friends. It's so easy to fall into routine Christianity. You guys with me? You know, just going through the motions. Just going through the motions where you run through the ministries and where you run through the activities, but you don't live in close touch with the living God. Listen, you can even have, get this, you can even have a personal quiet time, but not meet with God. Because you're just going through the motions. There's no devotion to that meeting time. You can go to church and, and, and listen, I'll go through the worship service, but you haven't made contact with the living God. So we got to be very careful. It's not just going through the motions, but there's deep down God, held, God felt devotion in seeking him and loving him. Can I get an amen? So let's read on the text. Here we go. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Say pillar. Say foundation. Now, now it, it, Ephesus featured the temple of Diana, which featured 127 pillars. You guys with me? And the pillars of the temple stood out. They stood out for all to see. They all could see it. In fact, this temple was one of the great wonders of the world, and people could spot these pillars uh, when they were miles and miles and miles away. Follow me. The church is to stand out. Say stand out. Okay. And stand up for the truth of God. The church, listen now, is to be the place where God's truth is not just preached, but also practiced. If you're safe, say amen. When people look at us, when they look at us, they should be able to see that we, the church, are pillars holding high to the truth, elevating, elevating the truth, and that we, the church, are built on the foundation of the truth of God's living word. Amen? 
This is our job, church. This is the job of the church. This is the church's responsibility. What? For the truth. For the truth. We are called to hold forth and to stand firm on the truth in a day, listen now, in a day when people don't want truth. Right? Right? You know what's sad but true? Many Christians, okay, don't believe the Bible anymore. They don't believe what it teaches about creation or about salvation, about sexuality or marriage or men and women and their roles or eternity or hell or heaven. We are, listen now, we are in the midst of raising a generation of Christians who don't believe the Bible. Sad, sad. And of those who do believe the Bible, they pick and choose what to believe. Well, it's my truth. Or it's relative. Heard that before. In, in, in 2 Timothy, and we're going to get to that after we finish this series, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, Paul said all Scripture, see all, is what? It's, it's God-breathed. It's God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in what? Righteousness. And verse 17, he says, so that the servant of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. He didn't say some Scripture, all right, but all Scripture, Right? I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Matthew 4, verse 4. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, right? Say every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's not some words, but every single word. Follow me. If we the church is, listen, if the church is going to be the pillar and foundation of truth, we must believe every single word of Scripture and not just some of it. Not just pick and choose what, you know, we feel meets us and our needs. So, so this begs the question, how do we as individuals and how do we as a church make the word the pillar and, and the support of the truth? Well, we need to believe it, right? We need to believe the word. Also, we need to read the word and not just read the word, but we got to study the word and not just study the word, but we got to memorize the word and not just memorize the word, but we also got to meditate on the word not just meditate on the Word, but also hear the Word. And not just hear the Word, but share the Word. Okay, got that? But above all, above all, obey the Word. Say that. In other words, live it out in our lives, Christians. Amen. And if the church is going to be a pillar and foundation of the truth, it must not only have orthodoxy, correct belief, but orthopraxy, correct behavior, correct conduct. It must hold to sound doctrine and live it out. Listen, church, the Word of God is designed to change our conduct. The Word of God is designed to affect our behavior. Can I get an amen? If you're safe, say amen. We are to come to church. That's why we come. We are to come to church to hear the written Word, the written Word of God taught so we may learn what to believe and not just what to believe, but how to behave. So that our lives in God's church will be a pillar and support of the living truth of the living God. Now I want to say this, and and please listen. Sadly, many people are pushed away from Christianity, from God, the church, and the truth because so many Christians don't practice what they preach. Why is it quiet? Huh? Listen, listen, church. When living in sin, 
Instead of affirming the truth, we discredit it. We discredit the truth. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Here we go. Live right. Live right. Okay? Live right. We're not talking about perfection, but you ought to be walking in a right direction, right? A godly way. Question, are are we affirming the truth by the way that we live? Are we? Listen, we must take the word of God seriously as a church and as individual individuals. Excuse me. Now get this. God's word must be esteemed and expounded, believed, and obeyed. I'm going to say it again. Esteemed and expounded, believed, and obeyed. Why? Because as the household of God, as the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth, we are the current expression, listen now, of Jesus Christ in the world until he comes back. So I pray that they see, the world sees that Jesus lives in us, right? And that we exude godliness in our lives. I also want to say this. If pastors and teachers of the church do not preach God's Word, okay? So you got people out there preaching philosophy, opinion. It's bad. But if pastors and teachers of the church do not preach God's Word and lead the church into obedience of God's Word, it will never become a pillar and support of the truth. This is why we here at Cry Out are committed to teach you and teaching you God's Word. Not my opinion, not philosophy, not what I think, but God's Word. Not what's happening out in the world today or their opinion or culture. God's Word. And we do that through expository preaching. Amen? Now, there's nothing wrong with topical preaching. We'll do topical preaching here and there. But topical preaching, okay, nothing wrong with that as long as it is contextual. Amen? Contextual. So the right conduct, say that. Number two, here we go, is the right confession. Say that. The right confession. If, if, if you're getting this, say amen. Amen. So, so I love this. So, so after talking about the church's duty to the truth, having right conduct, living right, amen, Paul now what he does describes the primary content of that truth. And by the way, this verse, verse 16, introduces a creed or a creedal statement, or a short hymn of praise, it was said that this was like a song. Uh, it, it's, it's a summary of, of Christian truth. You're going to love this, amen? Verse 16, here we go. Beyond all question, now the King James says, and without controversy, the New Revised Standard Bible says, without any doubt. So beyond all question, or without controversy, or any doubt, the mystery of godliness is great. You guys get that? I want to stop there. Now remember, the mystery points to that which once was what? Hidden, but now what? Revealed. Has been revealed in who? Jesus Christ. And God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. He's the mystery that which has been revealed. What was concealed is now revealed in Christ. Someone say amen. And so follow me here. What Paul is saying, Paul is saying, it is clear to all of us believers. In other words, it's common confession. I love this. It's common testimony that this revealed mystery of godliness to be found in Christ is great. 
In other words, friends, it's mega huge. It's awesome. It's incredible. Someone please say amen. The great mystery of being godly is resolved in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, friends, our relationship, got to love this now, our relationship with Jesus is the key to being a people and a church that is a pillar and support of the truth of the living God. Now, now listen, please listen. Every true believer, say true believer, will give this common confession. Every true believer will give this common testimony. You guys with me? By the way, I want to point something out here. The pagans of Ephesus had a statement, and the statement was this. Great is Artemis, which was a Greek goddess, of the Ephesians. And so with that in mind, Paul, Paul's point is this. What is really great is true God- godliness. And true godliness is found in who? Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying, amen? Now, now, now as we walk through The remainder of the text, we see six distinct statements in this hymn or this creed, okay, with Jesus as a subject, Jesus as a subject of each statement. Jesus, say Jesus, he's a sum total of these six statements because he's the center and he's the source of our belief. Got it? Listen, if you're a Christian, born again, I'm going to say it again then you will also affirm these six statements. Again, this is our common confession. Again, this is our common testimony. This is what we believe, the central truths, essential doctrine that constitutes the Christian faith. These are non-negotiables. Amen? If you got it, say got it. So follow me. First of all, notice the incarnation. Say that. Look at the text. He appeared in a body. Now you got to get that. He appeared in a body. Notice he was not created. He appeared. Got it? He preexisted as God the Son. Christ is God revealed in human flesh. He's the invisible God made visible. Now I want you to write this down. John chapter 1. You guys might remember this when we went through the book of John. John chapter 1. The Gospel of John verses 1 and 2 and verse 14 and we know this, right? In the beginning, got it? In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. Jesus is God. Amen? He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. The Word, Jesus, verse 14, the Word, Jesus, became flesh and made His what? Dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in other words, what it's saying is deity funneled itself into humanity. Got it? He became human. Why? Why? So that, this is now, so he could die for humans and save them from their sins. So the incarnation, also notice the vindication. Say that. The text says, write that down, the text says, was vindicated by the Spirit. So what this speaks of, it speaks of the divine approval that was upon Jesus' life and his work, his ministry. He was declared right. His ministry was declared legitimate 
by the Spirit of God. You guys getting this? He was shown, in other words, he was shown, Jesus was shown to be exactly who he was. The Holy Spirit declared him righteous through his life. He declared him righteous at his baptism. We know this, right? He declared him righteous through many miracles throughout his life, and ultimately, he declared him righteous through the resurrection. The incarnation, the vindication, the ascension. Say that. Write that down. The ascension. Write that down. Look at the text. Was seen by, by angels. Say angels. So the angels, they announced his coming to Mary and Joseph. We know the story, right? We know this, right? They announced his birth to the shepherds. They strengthened him, Jesus, while he fasted in the wilderness and during his temptation right before his death. The angels, they appeared at his tomb during the resurrection, and they watched him ascend, ascend into the heavens. The incarnation, the vindication, the ascension. How about this? Notice the proclamation. Come on, say that. The proclamation. Look at the text with me now. Was preached among the nations. Gosh, I love that. Got it? Was preached among the nations. This is now, friends, from Pentecost until this day, right? Preached among the nations. And right after his ascension, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the gospel was proclaimed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Until this day, people are still talking about him. (laughs) Amen? They're still talking about him. Still talking about him. Question, are you proclaiming Jesus? In your words and in your deeds, are you proclaiming Jesus, the living God? The incarnation, vindication, ascension, proclamation. Notice the reception. Say that. Write that down. The reception. The text says, was believed on in the world. This speaks of the response of the gospel. Peter preached the gospel and what? 3,000 were saved, right? 3,000 were saved and soon after, thousands and thousands more were saved. And since then, since then, the gospel has been accepted by many throughout the world. People are still getting saved. Amen? The incarnation, vindication, ascension, proclamation, reception, and last one, notice the exaltation. I need someone to say amen. The exaltation. Okay? Let's go back to the text. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world was taken up in glory. Amen? It's the crown of his exaltation. Jesus has ascended into heaven where he sits at the very right hand of God the Father with all authority in heaven and all authority on earth. And guess what? He's coming back. I guess you're not too happy about that, are you? He's coming back. He is. He's coming back again. And you see, friends, as the angels promised, one day he, Jesus, will return to the earth in the same manner, the same manner as he ascended, visibly, bodily, in power, in glory. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. It's all about Jesus. I I need a witness. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Okay. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. I hate to tell you, it ain't about you. It's not about us, all right? It's about Jesus. He appeared 
in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory, and he's coming back, listen now again, and he's coming back for a church with the right conduct and the right confession. Amen? So let's live and be and act like the church of the living God. Let's all stand. Amen.